0: This is Commerce Code, a Friday morning digital commerce podcast for leaders in retail, technology, banking, payments, financial data, and cutting edge marketing. I'm Dan Carell, CEO of the Digital Commerce Alliance. We'll start with this week's news in digital commerce.
1: It has been a tough week for stocks. From last Friday, when the market began to drop, the Dow Jones Industrial Average and the S&P 500 have each lost about 3%. It was the biggest decline in two months for U.S. stocks, with tech shares falling on overall concerns about the economic outlook and speculation that the Fed would become more hawkish after its annual meeting in Jackson Hole this week. Digital commerce companies were hit harder than most in the market slide. By midweek, the S&P Retailers Select Index was down 8% from last Thursday. The Index Global Fintech Thematic Index was 10% off, and the S&P 500 Financial Sector Index was down 4%. Bitcoin dropped about 6% last Friday as the market began its slide, but the cryptocurrency's price has steadied above the $20,000 mark. Global oil prices surged on Tuesday after Saudi Arabia's energy minister suggested OPEC might cut crude production to stabilize the market as global recession risks rise. Oil peaked at $120 per barrel in March and dropped to $82 by mid-August. It was $95 on Thursday. For consumers, however, gas prices are still far below their peak earlier this year. According to Gas Buddy data, gas prices declined for 10 straight weeks through last Friday, with the U.S. national average price at $3.86 per gallon, down 51 cents from a month ago. In California, the average price at the pump was $5.27 last week. U.K. consumer confidence fell to its lowest level since records began in 1974. Concerns about the rising cost of living appear to be the main culprit as the 12-month inflation rate hit 10.1% in July. America's National Association of Realtors reported last week that sales of existing homes declined for the sixth straight month and are down 20.2% year over year. July's median existing home sales price dropped to $403,800, a $13,000 decrease from its record high in June. Softening home prices are surely a welcome development for buyers, but the median mark is still 10% higher than just 12 months ago. Americans' TV watching habits continue to become ever more internet-based. Data from Nielsen, released last week, found that for the first month ever, Americans in July spent more time watching television on streaming services than on cable TV. Streaming accounted for 35% of total TV viewing time, just ahead of cable at 34.5%. Good old-fashioned broadcast is still hanging in there with 21.5%. Commerce Code is brought to you in part by VantageScore. Nine of the top 10 banks and over 3,000 leading banks and fintechs use VantageScore to predict and manage repayment risk. Learn more about the latest advances in credit scoring and how to grow your lending business by leveraging financial inclusion at VantageScore.com. In this edition of Commerce Code, considering Honey Automatic Coupons and Student Loan Relief. For some unscrupulous hackers, NFT fraud is a new line of business. As reported this week by blockchain research and financial risk management firm Elliptic, a record number of NFTs were stolen in July. NFTs, or non-fungible tokens, are traded mainly on the Ethereum blockchain. NFT scam reports exploded in the first quarter of this year, with reported NFT-related fraud more than doubling from late last year. By this summer, the frequency of scam reports had dropped, but it appears that online fraudsters became more effective in running their scams. According to Elliptic, over $100 million worth of NFTs were publicly reported as stolen through scams between July 2021 and July 2022, netting perpetrators $300,000 per scam on average. July 2022 saw over 4,600 NFTs stolen, the highest month on record indicating that scams have not abated despite the crypto bear market. Visa said Wednesday that it had issued more than 4 billion network tokens through its security technology, Visa Token Service, or VTS. Visa says that this is more than the total number of its physical cards in circulation. Tokens are used to reduce fraud risk within the credit card payments ecosystem. VTS does this by replacing 16-digit Visa account numbers with a token that can only be unlocked by Visa, thus safeguarding the underlying account information. Walmart has added a rewards program to its subscription platform, Walmart+. Plus. The move targets budget-conscious shoppers who can now earn rewards on select items and apply them at checkout for future purchases. Walmart is rolling out the new program in conjunction with Ibotta, a Denver-based cashback rewards platform. Finally, many retailers are making moves that anticipate a different consumer mindset this fall and into the holiday shopping season. On Tuesday, Macy's CFO noted that a competitive promotional climate was growing as inflation outpaces wage growth. Walmart has announced Thanksgiving meals for under $50 for a family of four. Retailers are planning for the year-end rush with recent bad experiences fresh in their memory, many having been stung by excess inventory due to supply chain problems and overbuying. That said, not everyone is running scared. Mattel noted that it had swelled its inventories for the holidays, the CEO told investors that we expect a traditional holiday season shopping pattern to return. Mattel's iconic Barbie will put on her best outfit and get ready for another great Christmas, as she has done every year since she was born in 1959. Today on the show, we'll take a closer look at two issues. First, what's the story on Honey? A discount app bought by PayPal back in 2020 for a whopping $4 billion. Second, how will the student loan relief announced by U.S. President Joe Biden impact the American consumer? And how soon will it make a difference?
0: In January of 2020, PayPal bought the Honey browser extension for a cool $4 billion. The price tag immediately dropped. PayPal's stock by about 5%. But PayPal bounced back pretty quickly. Since then, the company's been on a stock price rocket ride all the way up and then all the way back down again. That story has to do with everything that happened starting in March of 2020. Here, I mostly want to spend a moment on the Honey browser extension because it's a pretty widely used tool for discounts and promotions, and there's a rewards and a loyalty element to it too. For those like me, I will confess, who haven't really used it before, it's worth knowing what the thing is about. In July... PayPal announced that it had rebranded Honey as PayPal Honey. The browser extension is still available to anyone to use, and as before, it automatically searches out coupon codes for users and does a few other things. This week, I got the extension and went over to Nordstrom.com to test it out, as well as Amazon. As promised, it integrates with the shopping experience pretty well. When you get to the checkout, it searches on coupon codes and more or less automatically puts them into the system to save you money, get you bonuses, or whatever else is available. It also invites you to track products that may change in price over time, so apparently now I'll be notified about some Chelsea boots at Nordstrom if the price or availability changes. Honey is free, but it certainly doesn't appear to be selling personal information as part of the revenue model. The site has a very simple privacy policy revised in late 2021, well after the PayPal acquisition, and it very simply states, we do not sell your information ever. Honey's basic revenue model similar to Rakuten, is to earn fees from participating retailers when consumers use Honey to spend money at the store. From the retailer's perspective, Honey's role is to reduce cart abandonment and smooth the online transaction. So yes, the store is paying to have Honey, at times, reduce the price of their products, but the idea here is that conversion rates go up. As a point of comparison, Rakuten is more focused on cash back than coupons, and it's arguably the best known player in the space. And if you're interested to learn more about Honey or Rakuten, just search on Honey vs. Rakuten and you'll find some enthusiastic online reviews from dedicated online bargain shoppers rattling off the pros and cons of both and it makes it pretty clear what business each one is in. Now perhaps to compete with Rakuten's cash back rewards and to deal with the fact that online coupons don't always or even usually work out, Honey also has a rewards program called Honey Gold, and the rewards can be redeemed as gift cards at participating merchants. Honey Gold, of course, works by sharing some of its partner store commission with consumers, and presumably, too, by getting preferential pricing on the gift cards. As I mentioned, Honey has a price-tracking feature, and with Amazon, Honey will also price-compare a product between different Amazon vendors. So was Honey worth $4 billion to PayPal? In PayPal's August 2nd investor call, I pulled up the transcript, An analyst asked PayPal's CEO to reflect on past M&A that the company had done, and while he didn't dwell on any particular acquisition, he didn't concede that any had been a failure, and his statements on Honey were, quote, Honey is the engine behind PayPal shopping, and, quote, Honey is a key part of the digital wallet. Of course, it's the CEO's job on an analyst call to pull tactics up to strategy to integrate the stuff together, and nobody's eager to admit that they overpaid for something, and There's been some serious water under the bridge at PayPal since Honey Acquisition in January of 2020. At the time, PayPal was trading at $108. On March 20th of 2020, do you remember that day? It was that one where you didn't leave the house, and then it was followed by an unspecified and almost unknowable number of identical days after that. Um, Well, that day, March 20th of 2020, PayPal traded as low as $86. Then the stock market decided that online commerce was invincible and nobody would ever leave their houses again. So on two separate occasions in 2021, shares of PayPal traded for $300. Late this June, PayPal was down to 72, and now it's around 100, and that puts its market cap at about 110 billion. None of that is about honey. It's just a reminder of the crazy world we live in right now. Shifting topics. Another reminder of our crazy world, I would say, is that the president can announce broad-based student loan relief, and while it's a big story, I think if this had happened before the pandemic, it would have been received as an absolutely tectonic and historic move. Now it's the kind of thing that, even though it's potentially quite big, we all kind of take in stride, whatever we may think of it. I just wanna hit some high points here, and the reason I'm picking up this story on Commerce Code is because of its potential effects on consumer attitude and consumer behavior. So let me give you the basic story in case you haven't seen it. The US has about one and a half trillion in outstanding student loans. As I've mentioned here before, That's a bit more than the total amount of car loans outstanding in the United States. About 85% of new cars are financed, by the way, and about half of used cars are financed too. So if we're trying to visualize what one and a half trillion is worth, it's roughly the value of every second car you see throughout the whole country. And the president did not announce on Wednesday that he's forgiving all of that debt, not remotely, but depending on how things work out, he might have announced that he's forgiving maybe 15, maybe 20% of it. So it could be a lot. The main elements of what he announced were that federal student loan borrowers making less than $125,000 individually or $250,000 as a married couple would get $10,000 in loan relief for sure. And then for those who received a Pell Grant when they were in college, and Pell Grants are reserved to families with incomes of around $60,000 at the household level or less, those people would get twice the relief, so they'd get $20,000. How many people does that affect? An estimated 45 million Americans hold some amount of student debt, and more than half of those people owe less than $20,000. About 10% of Americans make $125,000 or more, although households with $250,000 are more rare by far that's just 5%. So this $10,000 relief applies to 90% or more of those borrowers, maybe as many as 40 million people. To frame that a little bit, the U.S. workforce is 165 million people, so it's like every fourth employee of every company in the country that'll be getting something like $10,000 debt relief. There are a million things that I could say. I worked on things related to this when I was at the Department of Education in 2019 and 2020, but I will set aside the policy stuff and just focus on what it might mean for consumers and for folks in, in digital commerce. So we have this image of people with 200,000 student loans or more, and we might think, oh, $10,000 is no big deal. But the base of the borrowing pyramid is people who have taken out a much lower amount than that. And for a lot of them, making the payments isn't necessarily that easy, especially if, as is often true, they didn't finish whatever college degree they were working on. About a million people drop out of college every year in the United States. It's a big country, but that's a lot. If they do graduate the typical undergraduate comes out with twenty-five thousand dollars in debt today that's the number it's been that way for a few years now but it's considered a huge increase from 10 years ago and certainly from 20 and millions of borrowers don't even take out that much even now if they're in a two-year school they paid more out of savings or whatever so for millions of people ten thousand dollars in loan relief will cut their debt in half or in a lot of cases just wipe it out entirely now let me just say that This debt relief is not exactly a done deal from a legal perspective. Unpacking that would be a very long podcast of its own, but we need to handicap this against the possibility that it just won't really happen in the way that it's been said. That said, let's also keep in mind, almost nobody has been paying federal student loans since early 2020 when the government suspended those loan payments, and nobody's going to start paying them again until at least January of 2023 based on the announcement that was made this week. So what could this mean for consumers and then for retailers and people in banking and payments and so on? First, sure, we will have a decent number of people who feel like they are $10,000 richer now than they were before the announcement. And since we know that people spend at least partly in proportion to their own perceived net worth, maybe that will pump up some spending. Some folks are saying that this will be inflationary. Maybe... But the other theory, which honestly I find a little more compelling, is that when it comes to large chunks of money, people tend to operate based on the simple question of, what is the monthly payment? And there's a lot of recency in how most people operate financially. When someone hasn't made a monthly payment on a student loan for over two years, have they been carefully preserving in their minds the fact that they really should be making those payments? I'm sure the typical borrower is $10,000 happier today, occasionally $20,000 happier. I'm not sure they will behave like they're $10,000 richer, since their monthly budget is exactly the same as it was before, and they haven't made one of those payments for well over two years. The other thing you could say happened this week was this. It clarified for people, or at least it was intended to, that they really do need to pay their student loans, and that's going to start in January. To the extent they owed more than $10,000 or they make $125,000 or more, they've got payments on the mind again, or at least they will when they figure out the news and they believe that it's real. I could conjecture that the effect there of no longer holding out hope for full cancellation, which some people in their fantasies believed might happen, or just the belief that this administration would never reinstate loan payments, and that's not such an unrealistic thing to have believed, that effect might be pretty considerable. And of course, it would run very much in the other direction, not inflationary, but getting people into a mindset of, hmm, those loans are coming again, and they're coming in January. That's all I have to say for the moment on student loan forgiveness, and I realize that I haven't created total clarity on the issue, but there are some important moving parts and ways that this can impact consumer psychology and the economy. Also, keep in mind my earlier aside, it's not a done deal. There is some serious fine print to navigate like thousands of pages of it, and I know that because I spent some of the most puzzling moments of my career wallowing in that very stuff.
1: Commerce Code is a weekly podcast of the Digital Commerce Alliance, the premier trade association advancing the future of commerce. Check out our website at digcomall.org. Help us grow Commerce Code by sharing it with your colleagues and old friends from business school, and rate Commerce Code on your podcast app. We'd love your feedback and topic ideas. Just drop Dan Carell an email. You can reach him at dan at digcomall.org. On behalf of DCA, have a great Friday and a great weekend.